Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. We're starting a new sermon series today. We're starting a sermon series called No I in Church. The reason it's No I in Church is we're going to be walking through one of my favorite books of the Bible, which is 1 Corinthians. It's going to take a couple of weeks, and I don't know how long we're going to wind up hanging out here. I have a plan and a schedule, but you know, if you know anything about me, plans and schedules are always subject to Holy Spirit intervention, right? All right, so there we go. Uh, in honor of Harvest Palooza, in honor of all those who made balloon elephants, or balloon animals, my balloon elephant wouldn't fit in the back of my car, so I had to pop the trunk. All right. What, and just to follow up, why are balloon animals so expensive? Inflation, of course. Do uh, you ever feel the world's messed up? Anybody in the room, you ever feel the world's messed up? I was talking to a dude the other day. He's no more a Christian than that, that, I don't know, than this stand is. And you know what he was talking to me about? He was talking to me about how messed up the world is and how goofed up the world is. And I'm listening to this guy talk about how goofed up the world is. And it seems to me that right now in this space, in this place, we are all coming to recognition that maybe, maybe things are a little crazy and out of control. Could we just agree on that? that there are parts of our world right now that are just a little messed up. So I got two questions that I want to answer in this sermon series. And the two questions are, is our world too messed up for Jesus to redeem it? Now, one of the things we're going to find out when we walk through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we're going to find out how messed up this church was. Forget everybody out there, how messed up the church was. So, um, I think the place for us to fix our culture is to fix ourselves. I think the way we start changing the world is to change me. 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 So um, we're going to talk about that. And and if you think our world's goofed up now, just wait until you hear some of my explanations in the sermon series about how messed up the Greco-Roman culture was, and especially the culture of Corinth. You'll hear a little bit about that today. And then there's a second question that's follow-up to that. If it's all goofed up, is there a way to make a positive impact? Is there a way to make a positive impact in our world? And and I'm going to believe that this passage and these passages we look at are going to help us answer the question, is there a way to make a positive impact? So this series will show how messed up the Corinthian church was, yet I, I was reading this morning um, I went back just uh, this morning for the fun of it, and I read the introduction and the prayer Paul prayed over them. And these people were called out by God. They were redeemed by God. They were called God's people. They had the name of Jesus upon them, and they had the power of God flowing through their lives. And, and their gifts of God were flowing through them. So this series will show how messed up the Corinthian church was, but yet it was redeemed from that and was being propelled into a different new future. And this series will give us answers to many of the pressing questions we face. I may actually take some time to stop and slow down on a couple of passages along the way. Y'all all all right with that? Good. I'm going to do it anyway. Last sabbatical. 
So I just got back from sabbatical. Last sabbatical, I took a trip. And the trip we took, well, I wanted to learn some stuff. You see, I've been, uh, I've been studying and reading Greek at that moment for over 15 year, years. Now it's been about 22 years I've been reading and studying Greek. And uh, that's what the Bible was originally written in, was in the Greek language. So I want to be able to read it without translations and all that stuff getting in the way. So we decided we would go to Greece, right? Yeah, and we were going to go to Athens because Athens is the airport you go to if you're going to travel that portion of the world. So we decided to go to Athens, and we were going to be there because it's a major airport in the major city. What I didn't understand, though, is the path I was going to take in Athens was going to be the same path Paul took. And I was actually going to be chasing the exact steps that he took. And I didn't understand that until one day, maybe I'll tell you this story later, I was walking through the Agora, no, I'll just tell you now. I was, walk, I was walking through the Agora, which is the, um, that's where they do business. It's called, basically, the, the Agora means the, the marketplace. And I was walking through it with my wife. We'd been through almost our entire trip. It was our last day there in Athens. And I'm walking through, and I look over, and there is a, there's a stone sitting on top of a pillar. And it's, it's got things inscribed on it in Koine Greek, uh, uh, unical Koine Greek, which means that the letters are all capitals. There's no space between the words. There's all that. I'm walking through and I look over and I begin reading that to my wife, this inscription to my wife. This is, it was written while Tiberius was, actually, matter of fact, it was a recognition of Ty Tiberius's adalement or his, his gift to the city of Corinth, Tiberius Caesar. Uh, Tiberius was right before Paul showed up in that town. So I looked over and I read a piece of stone that the Apostle Paul himself had read. And after all I'd been through the last couple of days, something really settled into me. And this, I, I don't, Christianity is not a fairy tale. The actual stories you read in the Bible are real stories of real people in real places, in real times, in real spaces. They are real stories. Let's just stop there. This is not a fairy tale made up. I lost it. I, yeah, I was emotional. I lost it for an hour. My wife can affirm that I walked around bawling for an hour because I had just read something that probably the Apostle Paul read. This was at the end of the journey. I'd already experienced the things I'm going to tell you about today. So let's talk about that. First Corinthians is one of my favorite books. So if we were going to be in Athens, it was very logical for me to visit Corinth. Uh, so we decided to go 55 miles down the coast to Corinth. And one thing about uh, 1 Corinthians you need to know is I call it the ADHD book. And for those of us that have ADHD, it is a beautiful thing to have somebody that thinks like me somewhere in the Bible. He will start telling a story and switch to something else. And, I've, and then he'll draw a conclusion that neither connects to either one of the stories, but there's a connection somewhere in his mind. Come on, this is like, I'm in love. I got a man crush on Paul now because he talks like me, right? All right. He talks about divisions in the church, lawsuits, sexual immorality, head coverings, communion, gifts of the spirit, resurrection, giving, and he jumps from one to the other sometimes and you're going, how did you make that connection in your brain? Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 if you want to know. So he writes the letter because what he's doing is he's answering their questions. Whether you recognize it or not, there are a lot of quotes in 1 Corinthians. 
Everything is permissible for me. It's not Paul saying everything is permissible for him. He is quoting them. He says, everything is permissible for me. And then his answer is, but I will not be mastered by anything. Everything is permissible for me, but I'll only do what's good. Food for the stomach, you know, anyway. All right. Now about the letter, or the things you wrote about. He says that like four times in the letter. So he's responding to them. It's a guy having a dialogue with people he likes. So, all right, that's saying. Even though there are all these subjects we're going to talk about, there is one unifying theme for the book of 1 Corinthians. And here's the unifying theme. Y'all ready? He is rebuking the self-made approach to Jesus that puts me first. He is rebuking the self-made approach to Jesus that puts me first. And with that being said, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, and we're going to read our text for today. Paul is also establishing that he's got authority in Jesus to answer their questions, and he's rebuking me first. Come on, we live in a culture of me first, don't we? Uh, come on, are you guys awake? Do you live in my world? I live in your world. Do you live in my world? My world is me first. It's always about me, me, myself, and I. We're all tuned in. We all get in the car. We're all tuned into the same radio right up here. You know what it is? W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? And that, that's our issue, W-I-I-F-M. So here's his answer to that. Could you put up the, the key verse for today? 1 Corinthians 1.10. You might hear this a time or two again as we go through the passages. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions. Now, that Greek word there is schisms or tears. There's nothing to tear you apart. There may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united. And that word united means sewn back together. Hold on. Y'all didn't get that, did you? He said, nothing's tearing you apart, but if there is some tearing you apart, we're going to sew you back together. That all of you agree with one another, so there may be no divisions among you, that each of you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. What he wants is and no I in this church mentality. It's not about you. It's not about I. It's not about me. It's about us honoring God. So, Father, I pray in this sermon series, I dedicate it to you right now, that this entire sermon series would be a time for us, for us to lay down our pride, and like Jesus, to pick up the towel, to even wash Judas's feet, that we would be people that serve and put the good of the kingdom of God above our own interests. That there would be no divisions or schisms. Instead, we would be perfectly united in mind and thought. Amen. Amen. So uh, turn to somebody close to you before you're seated. Give them a high five, a hug. Tell them they look good. Happy fall. Wish them a Browns win or whatever it may be. I don't care. Hey, if you're online, good to see you this morning. All right, so a lot like Paul, we got off the airplane, we went to Athens, we went into town. Um, in, when Paul went to Athens, he was on a second missionary journey. And he started in, if, you know, if I were to look at a picture, do we, have a, uh, do we have a picture that I could show real quick? Do you have one of the pictures, a map, a map, a map, a map? Thank you. All right, 
I thought it was Dora there for a second. It's Map, it's Map. All right. Those of you with younger children don't understand the power. Oh, they're screaming boys all the time. Why did she have to scream? Anyway, all right. All right, so you see where Athens is, you see where Corinth is. If you go all the way to the top, up at the top, there's land up there, um, and that, that's where Athens, or that's where Thessalonica was. And Paul was up in Thessalonica and Berea, and he got in some trouble. They actually tried to kill him, they beat him, there were some things like that. So they thought it was a wise idea to take Paul out of those cities and send him down to Athens. So this is what it says in Acts 17, 15. Those who escorted escorted Paul, brought him to Athens. So they, they wanted to save his life. They took him out of those towns. By the way, he planted church in both of those towns. Both of those churches did very good. And now here is Paul. He is in Athens. When he was there, Paul interacted with the people and he learned the city. Uh, Acts 17, 19 says, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching you're presenting. So when Paul showed up, what do you think Paul did? He listened for a bit. He walked around a little bit. He saw everybody, got to know everybody. And then what did he do? What's a preacher going to do? He's going to find a place and start telling people about Jesus. That's just what he started doing. He started telling people about Jesus. He started saying these things. And they said, ah, you're, you're saying some things we haven't heard before. We'd like to listen to you. Why did they want to hear something new? Here's why. Because in verse 21, this is Acts 17. It's telling about Paul's visit to Athens. And it says, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So these guys were on YouTube 24-7. Are y'all following? All right. Wow. There's some similarities going on here, new world we're in now. So here's what we found when we went to Athens. All right, let's start with the first picture. This is the Acropolis. This is the... um, Now, I I want you to notice, I want you to observe, not just look at a picture, but I want you to observe. The reason I'm showing the pictures is not to tell you about my trip. I think there's some observations we would like to make. This temple was built, the one in the main center there, was built about 2000 B.C., and it's still standing. By the way, it is an architectural marvel. Uh, Notice how many of the other buildings are standing that were all from the time period when Paul was there. So these were all here when Paul was there. All right, the next picture was, um, what's that, the temple? Oh, this is actually the temple on top of the hill. I want you to observe the quality of the rocks. (laughs) These rocks, look at the lines in the rocks. Y'all following that? Are there pockmarks in the rocks? No, they're beautiful. They're still beautiful. Any place that you see any kind of indent is probably where... um, one of the uh, later, uh, who were they, the Moravians that came in and, and took swords and tried to cut things down. And any dents you see are going to be from somebody hitting it with a sword to try to deface it because there were no dents in any of the original rocks. And notice that they're still perfectly lined up after, what, four 4,000 years? Do you know that the floor of this temple is sloped to permit water runoff? so that if water spills, it runs off the edges. Uh, And the floor was perfectly done. Anyway, all right. Then, temple close-up, we got that. All right, yeah, just looking again. Look at even the steps, the quality. This is what I want you to observe, is the quality of the steps to a temple. All right? And the roof. 
Look how perfectly designed the architecture of the roof is. Now, all that say, we're going to go next. We're going to go down, down below the hill. We're going to go to Estoa, which is next. This is a remake, but, but this is what it looked like. Do you, know why they, do you know why they were smooth? The Stoa had the columns smooth. Do you know why? Because all everybody did, anybody did, was lean against them and talk all day. So they made them smooth back in the day. These are, of course, a reconstruction, but they know what it looked like. They made them smooth so that people could lean against them and, and not you know, get grooves in their shoulder from handling the other columns. And when Paul arrived... All he did was he find a bunch of people standing around, leaning against stoas, talking in perfectly beautiful buildings, doing the things that they did, which was talk about religion and philosophy and ideas. And all they did was talk. Because this was the center of the country. This was where all the taxes came. This is where Washington, D.C. was able to talk all day long and never pass any laws. Because... <laughs> I'm not allowed to be political. I'm just joking. I will criticize people that live for money and talk and not do anything for the poor and the helpless. I will criticize that. All right, y'all ready? Next one's the road. Now I want to show you, now that you've seen the temples, this is the key. What's the road made out of? Dirt. What's the road made out of? What are all the temples made out of? Perfect stone. Well, the stoas are all designed so that people can stand and talk. What's the road made for? Not much. I mean, it's dirt. What happens if it rains? Come on, anybody ever dealt with mud? It's no fun. Ask Burning Man. Did y'all hear about Burning Man? It rained and everybody got trapped in the desert. That's always a great idea. They didn't even have a pillar of fire to guide them out. I'm, yeah, anyway. So note the beauty of the temples, but yet a dirt road. So then there's one more thing. We showed up here. The next slide is the Aeropagus. This is actually the mound of rocks. It's a rock outcropping called the Aeropagus. And that's where... Remember, they took Paul to the Aeropagus, and that's where he talked, because the Aeropagus was the city council of the city, and they would all sit on these rocks, and this was the, literally, the, we showed up our very first night. We wound up here so we could watch the sunrise, uh, sunset. It was a beautiful place, a beautiful place to sit, but that's where the, the Aeropagus, that's where they got their name, was this was the, the place that they set to run and rule the city. All right, now all that say. Paul goes to the Aeropagus. He goes here, and, and you can just imagine, you know, all the city leaders sitting around, listen to Paul, and they say, we want to hear what you've got to say, Paul. You're presenting some new ideas. So what does Paul do? Paul gives this speech. I love it. It's in Acts chapter 17. If you've got a Bible you want to follow along, it's in Acts 17, verse 22 through 31. I'm literally just going to read you the words, and I'm going to make a couple of comments to show you what Paul was doing. Paul, knowing he was at a place where everybody was really smart and they were eloquent and they were all that stuff, he said, Paul stood up in the meeting with the Aeropagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Well, of course, they got temples everywhere, right? You're religious. So he just basically complimented them, didn't he? They, that was something they took pride in, being religious. So he acknowledged them, sort of, and complimented them. I see in every way you're very religious. 
For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, I wish I had time to tell you the story behind this, but it's it, years and years and years before, let me give you as simple as I know how. Years and years and years before, there was a famine in the land, and uh, they, they thought, what God did we offend? And they had all these, and some dude showed up and he said, you know, take this sheep and that sheep and blah, blah, blah. And he, a whole big story gathered around it. And what happened was when they, they, they worshiped this, they made a sacrifice of this God they had never seen before or heard of before, the, the famine stopped and they got their food back. So they built an altar to this God they didn't know what it was. And this altar had been there for several hundred years now. And Paul shows up and he says, uh, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And he said, now, all right, let's talk about that one. He said, you're so, so you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to, by the way, notice how he trapped them. You're already worshiping this God. You don't know who he is. So let me tell you about the one you're worshiping. You don't even know what you're doing. That, he just opened up their back door, sitting at their kitchen table and telling them the way it is right there, and they didn't even know it. And then he said, this is the God that made the world and everything in it. The Lord of all heaven and earth does not live in temples built by human hands. Wow, so all your building of temples don't matter for this one. All right? And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath to everyone else. And from one man, he made all the nations that they should inherit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries on the lands. So God put you here so I could talk to you today is basically what he's saying. God did this so they would seek out, seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. And then he does something right here. He quotes P. Diddy. Well, maybe. Or Snoop. Because this was a poet from their own people that he quotes next. For in him we live and move and have our being. So you know what he just did? He quoted one of their popular composers. You didn't know that, did you? You know what else he did next? As some of your own poets have said, let's talk about another poet. We are his offspring. So what's he doing is he's taking their own words their own altar, and he's using it against them to tell them about what they need to know. This is pretty, come on, this is smart. I don't care what anybody says. It's pretty smooth, isn't it? Is this smooth? All right, it's incredibly smooth. Um, yep, anyway. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human uh, design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, and this is one of my favorite lines in Scripture. But now... He commands, he doesn't ask, he commands all people everywhere to repent. God is not asking you to repent, he's commanding you to. And if you don't do what he tells you to do, that makes you a rebel. There was one rebel in God's kingdom and God kicked him out, Satan. God's not going to put up with other rebels. Those of you that come to God that think you can do it all your way and it's on my terms, no, you either do it his way or it's the highway that ACDC talks about. Y'all follow me? And even if you're young, you probably heard that song, right? All right. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Because God set a day, he's going to judge this world. Notice, calling all this great theology from Paul. And then he says this, he has given proof 
of this to everyone by raising them from the dead. And now he's going to talk about the resurrected Jesus. And what do they do? They begin to scoff him. They kicked him out. And uh, they kicked him out of the Areopagus. And oh, do you know what it says in Acts 17:34? I think we got it on the screen. How many people became followers of Paul? Do you know, of all the places that the Apostle Paul spent any time in all of his travels, there's only one town in all of those places, only one town where he didn't leave a church. Do you want to guess what town it was? Athens. It's the only place he never, he left a few disciples, but he didn't leave a church. The only place he failed. And he failed. He failed, but he was incredibly eloquent. And he was smooth. And he did everything right, but he failed. And some of you are like that. You think you need to talk people in to following Jesus. You think you got to smooth your way in to leading them to Christ. And like Paul, you've lived a life of failure. So did Paul learn a lesson? Well, the very next passage in Acts chapter 18, 1, as soon as that Acts 17 is over, he goes directly 55 miles down the road to a town called Corinth. He leaves one place, goes to another. We'll talk for just a second about where he was going and why Corinth was what Corinth was. Can you are you all, all right with a little bit of geography and history lesson? I hope so. Because I want you to understand that there's some reality to all the, all the stuff that was going on. All right, do you see that whole isthmus there? You see where Corinth is? That's a whole isthmus there. And there's an opening, the Corinthian Gulf. And what happens is, um, you can see where Corinth is. There's a very, very narrow strip of land. It's about six miles wide. And then there's all of that whole area down below. Now, if you were doing shipping... And you were coming across the Aegean Sea, and you were coming across and you wanted to go to Rome, which is over here, then you had to sail around the, the isthmus there. It's called the, uh, what is that? That is the Peloponnese Peninsula, is what it is. It's the peninsula. And you had to sail around it. Now, the deal is, is that was an incredibly dangerous place to sail. The waters sometimes would go shallow. Sometimes they'd go deep. You wouldn't know which one. There were uh, winds that were against you. And sailors hated going down around the tip, sort of like going down around the Horn of Africa. Nobody likes to do that. So what did they do? Well, they had Corinth there. And Corinth was strategically located for a reason, because what would happen in those days, ships were not as big as our ships. And they would do this. They would pull up to that isthmus and they would, well, let me see what they, go to the next slide. What they've done now, uh, you can see that little area there and there was a safe harbor and a safe harbor so ships could pull up on one side, pull up on the other side and it was safe both ways. They didn't have to go around the dangerous part. They could just pull up there. Well, then how did they get their ships over six miles of land? Well, what they've done now is in 1930 or 18... Yeah, when was 1893, go ahead to the next slide, they built this. This is a canal. Now, look at that rock. You're not going to be blasting through that if you're in the first century because dynamite wasn't used. You got, got what I'm saying? So what did they do? They did something else. Let's go to the next one. Next slide. 
I don't know if you can see that or not, but that's a road with rocks in it and grooves in the rocks. And on the right's the same road, and that's where it dumps into the lake. You can see, or into the the whatever that's called, the canal, whatever water, whatever the next water is. All right, now all that to say, this is what they would do. Y'all ready for this? Sailors would pull up on one side. There would be a line because the Corinthians had made a way and a road where they would take ships, they would put them on rollers, and they had a ferry system with them attached to ropes and ropes, and they would literally take them over the six miles on rollers on the road. And they would ferry them over the isthmus for six miles. There's a little crown to it, and they would take them back and forth. So they would take a bunch of ships this way. They'd get a load coming from this direction. They would take them back this way. Then they would take another load back and back. And, are are y'all following what's going on here? And what happened was the sailors were willing to take a, a week to sit in Corinth while their boat was getting ready to be ferried over and they didn't have to take two weeks to sail around the dangerous place and they could hang out in Corinth for a week while their boat was being carried over that isthmus and they had nothing to do for a week. Sailors with a pocket full of money and nothing to do for a week. Oh yeah, well that's what Corinth was. But notice that it was built on a rock road and taking advantage of people's needs and fears and dollars. So, this made Corinth a very rich seaport, carrying the cargo over there. It wasn't six miles, it was four miles. So, sailors had a lot of time while waiting for their ship to be ferried. There was a guy named Strabo, who was a Greek writer in about 20 AD. That's about, um, about 20 years before Paul showed up. He wrote, the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth was so rich that it owned more than a thousand temple slaves. Read prostitutes. Curtisans, both men and women, were dedicated to the goddess, and therefore it was on account of these women that the city was crowded with people and grew rich. For instance, the ship captains freely squandered their money, and hence the Proverbs, not for every man is a voyage to Corinth. You know what was happening? There were a thousand prostitutes roaming the city streets waiting for the sailors to come in, both men and women, by the way. Did y'all notice that? All right. So in the language of the day, to Corinthicize meant that you were very immoral sexually. So what kind of town were we dealing with? A seaport with lots of money and lots of wild things going on. I could give you more evidence that there was a lot of problems because in the temple of Asclepius there were um, there were a lot of votives, which are things that they made asking for healing, and a lot of them were made of human genitals, which meant that venereal disease was out of control in town. Who lived there? Oh, and you thought, come on, you thought America was goofed up? Just wait until I get into these passages. I'm just laying a foundation for you today is all I'm doing. If you will, I'm putting the rocks on the road. We're going to travel. Are y'all catching this? All right, all right. Who lived there? At its height, there were about 700,000 residents. There were about 200,000 free, but 500,000 slaves. We were talking about sex trafficking and helping people get free of that today. 
God's always wanted them free, both yesterday, today, and in the future. There's some of that in this book as well. All right. And you thought the Bible didn't like talk to us? All right. Real quick, I'm going to finish this up, and then I'm going to give you my point, because I do have a point for today, but you got to know all these facts to get my point. Y'all, y'all still awake? Nudge a person next to you and say, wake up. All right, here we go. All right. By the way, the city leadership of Corinth were almost all uh, slaves who had bought their freedom. These were the Beverly Hillbillies of, of, uh, of uh, Greek society. They were people who were poor, didn't have any food, they were slaves. And now because of roads and making a lot of money, you know what? They got money to throw away and they're rich so they buy their freedom and now they got a city under their control. And what you're dealing with is first generation wealth and they weren't handling it very well. All right, come on. So what did the city look like? Well, there's not much of it left. Not much of this city left. There's a lot of Athens left. Not much of this one. It's, it was hot. Whatever you think hot was, it was Oklahoma, me playing golf, and it was 107 degrees hot. That's how hot it was. It was hot, hot. And it was a dry hot, and it would uh, melt your face off heat. And my wife was saying, can we leave now? <laughs> you might see a smile from her in a second. Let's go back to that previous picture. Uh, let's notice... Notice the, the pillars on the temple up there. Are those, are those the finest? I wanted to zoom in on them, but I'm not going to do that. Are those the finest marble like we're in Athens? They didn't give a rip about what they made their temples out of. Notice the rocks, how pockmarked all the rocks are. And they're just, yeah, look at them. They all got holes in them. I don't know. Can y'all see that? None of them were smoothed off. None of them were made beautiful. Let's go to the next one. Here's a bath. This is a bathhouse. And notice that the bathhouse was of primo importance. It's one of the biggest things in the entire city. What'd you, anyway, we'll not get into that, what bathhouses were for. But I think you can guess. All right, let's go to the next slide. Notice, yeah, isn't that a cute couple? Uh, you can go ahead and say, ah, uh, it's all right. But I took this picture for a reason. And the reason I took this picture is I want you to notice What's the road look like? The be- better than the roads in Ohio. You're right. Less potholes. And, and this, by the way, is over 2,000 years later, and that road's still that good. What did they invest their money in? The roads. What did they not invest their money in? The, are y'all catching something here? In Athens, where Paul was not successful... The people all cared about being right and smart. In the city of Corinth, where one of the most powerful New Testament churches rose up, it was a church where people cared about getting the job done because they knew what it was like to live in bondage and were now free. I don't think you guys got that. Where does the power of the gospel have power? Not where people think they're all smart, but where they realize how much need they have. That's the reason we build this church for 25 to 35-year-old men in oh crap moments. Oh crap, I'm married now. I got a kid. What am I going to do? Oh crap, I lost my job. What am I going to do? Oh crap, what am I... 
I don't know how to love a wife. Oh, crap, she caught me looking at porn. Oh, crap. You guys got what I'm saying? Because where you have a need, we have the answer. And we have the answer not to take anything from you, but to give you the life that you've always wanted from the beginning. Are you all following this? All right. I hate to ask these questions, but I want you to be awake for this, all right? One more. Uh, the next, next one matters. That's not written in Greek. That's written in Italian. Um, because the guy's name that dedicated this road, that bought and paid for this road, was a guy named Erastus. Erastus bought and paid for the road that starts right on the other side of this, uh, of this marker. And it says, this is what it literally says, Erastus in return for his Adelship which means he was the, the city uh, public works controller. He was in charge of roads, sewers, water production, all those kind of things. Erastus paved this road at his own expense. That's what it says, at his own expense. He, you know why he did it? He wanted to get elected. So he chose to serve the people rather than take from the people. Anyway, Romans 16.23 says this. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, talking about in Corinth. Who got saved, by the way? Who's one of the people who got saved? The guy who paved that road. There are a lot of road pavers in the church of God. Oh, come on. All right? And also it mentions them in 2 Timothy 4.20. Erastus stayed in Corinth. So, listen, there are a couple of things to take away. All right? We're going to start with the first takeaway. First of all, the places and spaces that I'm talking to you about happen among real people in real times with real needs, with real issues, and met a real Savior. Okay? First of all, these are not makeup stories and they're not myths. These are real stories about real people. So when we go through 1 Corinthians, it's going to be real stories about real people and there's real passion attached to their real problems. And Paul's going to give them real answers to overcome their real problems. That's first of all. Secondly of all, uh, I, I, I want you to know that, um, well, let's just look at Paul's approach. Paul's approach is, when he was in Athens, where it was knowledge and beauty, in Athens it was knowledge and beauty, that was all it's about, and how smart we are, how we look, all the things we pretend to know. Have you ever talked to somebody? I was witnessing somebody the other day. I was telling them about Jesus, and we were talking about the Bible just for a second, and they said, yeah, the Vatican wrote the Bible. Anybody ever heard that? Come on, has anybody ever heard anything like that, that the Vatican wrote the Bible? All right, all right, here's the deal. Listen, that's moronic. And that's the nicest way I know how to say that. The Vatican didn't exist until about 500 A.D., we have texts of everything in the Bible by 100 A.D. Anyway. But you talk to people and they all know everything because they're going to be so smart because they watch the TikTok. <laughs> but do you know what happens when you combat that knowledge with knowledge? Do you know what happens? Nothing. Because it doesn't work. So you know what happened? In Corinth, Paul learned this lesson. Here's what he learned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I did all of that this morning to get to here. Are you all ready? When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with excellency of speech or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the wisdom 
and the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, which later on Paul says is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in, notice this, in weakness and fear and trembling. Notice he had just failed up the road. And now he takes a 55-mile down road journey down the road. And he isn't coming with, I'm, I'm so smart, I'll talk you into this. He came with weakness, fear, and trembling. And he says, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words of human wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest upon human wisdom, but upon the power of God. Here's what I want to tell you. We've got a wise message. Tim Keller was one of the wisest, wrote some great books. He's dead now. C.S. Lewis wrote some, wrote some great books. He's dead now. People won't read them. People out there won't read them. You can read them so you have good arguments, and I think you should. I think you should know why you believe and have a reasonableness for your faith. We do have a reasonable faith. It is wise. There is wisdom in it. It is true. But, you ready for this? Nobody's going to be talked into serving Jesus by your arguments. And if they're talked into serving Jesus by your arguments, they can be talked out of serving Jesus by another argument that comes along that they like better, whether it's true or not. But do you know what people cannot deny? Like the day I walked into Sherry Root's hospital room. Sherry Root had had an she had had a uh, crash, a car crash. Her legs were mangled messes. There were pieces everywhere. They had done surgery to try to piece Humpty Dumpty back together again, but it didn't work so well. And in that process, she had got staph infection, staph infection so bad that they were going to amputate her legs. I walked into her hospital room, not because I'm so powerful. We talked. We talked for a few minutes. We talked about Jesus. We talked about all kinds of things. On the way out of the door, I said, oh, pardon me. Can I say it right? I said, oh, crap. I forgot to pray. That's how I said it because that's just who I am. If you don't know me, I'm sorry. I am not a holy man. You can go some other church to get a holy person. I'm a loser just like you trying to find my way to heaven. And you know what I did? I said, oh crap, I forgot to pray. And I still remember looking over and laying there and the, she was scheduled to have those legs amputated because of a staph infection. I reached down, I touched her toes and I said, Jesus, heal these legs. I have to run, I'm late, bye. That's exactly how it happened. I got a call the next day. The staph infection was gone in one day. Now, I, I don't know if you know, but that doesn't happen, people. Come on, they put you on six months of very strong antibiotics to get rid of staph infection, and it disappeared in one day. And you know what? That lady, her legs pieced back together, and she's still walking around on those legs, and she's going to come see us next week, and I get a chance to talk to her next week. She lives in Iowa now, but that woman is still walking on legs that 15, 18, 20 years ago, whatever it was, that is not me doing it. I don't have that power. But I said, Jesus, heal these legs. You know what? I talked to a person. I was sitting on a boat the other night talking to some people from our church. And they were telling me a story. And it's uh, Kevin and Lori Sowers. They were telling me a story about how they showed up here at this church. 
They were $108,000 and I asked them for permission. They were $108,000 in debt. Their marriage was falling apart. Their life was wrecked. And they showed up here and we introduced them to FPU and the power of Jesus. And they told me they're debt free. They told me that they like each other more than ever before and their life is put back on the right path. I can't do that, people. We do have the power of a Jesus Christ. Who can do that? We have the power of a Jesus Christ so that you don't always have to talk everybody into any, and I'm not trying to talk you into it. I'm simply telling you, if you have a need today and you need the power of Jesus Christ in your life, we actually know a Jesus Christ that was resurrected from the dead by his own power, and he has the power to do anything he doggone well wants to. And I choose, rather than having faith in a government or having faith in a religious structure, I choose to believe in a resurrected Jesus. And I call upon Him. And in my old crap moments, you know who shows up? He does. So guess how we're going to end the service today? If you're in an old crap moment or you got a need or maybe there's something physical or spiritual, I'm not going to lay hands on you. I'm not going to pray for you. This isn't going to be about me. This isn't going to be about this church. It's going to be about you meeting Jesus because trust me, I don't want to talk you into anything, but I want you to experience what God has for you. So they're going to sing a song. When they sing that song, I want you to get up out of your chair if you need a touch from Jesus. I want you to come around these altars. You can stand, you can kneel, you can sit on the front row. I don't care what you do, but you need to get up. You need to come here right now and you need to seek Jesus. Jesus, would you pour out your power on these situations, we pray. Amen. So come on, let's do it.